I'm so excited to share this podcast episode with you. My guests today are Lise Carlaw and Sarah Wills. I am just days away from turning 40. And so I didn't, I wanted to create an episode of the podcast that kind of leaned into turning 40, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with that. Right. Um, And so for a while there, I was like, I don't even know what I want to talk about here. And then I took a punt. I used my 10 seconds of courage and I asked this dynamic duo who have an amazing podcast and a book all about 40. I asked them to join me on the podcast as my guests and they said, yes. So let me read their bio to you. After blasting onto the Australian media scene, hosting national and local radio shows with Southern Cross Stereo, best friends Lise Carlaw and Sarah Wills are a duo with a difference, with a mission to flip the narrative around ageing. Walking the line between smart and irreverent, their extraordinary chemistry landed the pair local and national radio shows in Australia and has them seen has seen them share the stage with Sarah Jessica Parker, Zoe Foster-Blake, Lee Sales and Celeste Barber. In 2020, they launched their podcast, the equivalent of a little black book for the middle years, 40. Seven seasons and more than 1.6 million downloads in, 40 consistently ranks in top show podcast charts. Their book, 40 Favours the Brave, was published in 2022 and reprinted within six months. Lise and Sarah create entertaining, aspirational, yet down-to-earth content around fashion, beauty, aging, lifestyle, and providing helpful hints and suggestions, solutions for their highly engaged and trusting audience of women aged 35 plus, which is us, right? So I listen to their podcast and it just feels like I'm on the couch with them chatting with my mates. They are so funny and so down-to-earth. I just think that they're awesome. And if you don't already think they're awesome, then after listening to this, I know that you will. So we're going to jump straight into the interview. There is no fluff. Here we go. Lise Carlaw and Sarah Wills. Hello, I'm Donna Han, a business coach and an online course creator. And this is the She's in Business podcast. You can think of me as your business bestie, who's a few steps ahead of where you are right now. As a mum fueled with ambition and determination, I've created and sold three businesses. I've learned the lessons, made mistakes, and I understand the daily juggle and the hustle. I also know what it's like when relationships fray and burnout taps you on the shoulder. That was my world until I reshaped and transformed the way I ran my six-figure business. Today, I help women to transform their businesses and go from being the overwhelmed entrepreneur to becoming the thriving entrepreneur, feeling energized, empowered, and fulfilled within their business lifestyle. I want to inspire your business journey and help you to stop spinning your wheels because I want you to burn bright instead of burning out. And I'll invite other entrepreneurs to share their real life stories too because I want you to know that you're not alone. You can be the savvy entrepreneur that you are born to be and enjoy the freedom to do the things and be present with the people that mean the most to you. So if you're ready to rise to the next level and build a business by design, this is the She's in Business podcast for mums who are made for more. 
Okay, so the first question that I have for you is, and I know that you asked this of all your guests on your podcast, 40, what did you guys do for your 40th? Well, Lise well, turned 40 before me, so I'll let you answer before me, Lise. Well, I was in lockdown and we didn't have much of a lockdown here in Queensland. We're based in Brisbane, but the week I turned 40 was one of the only lockdown periods we had. So oh. it was, yep. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have anything planned anyway. I, I didn't want a big party. Um, I didn't really want anything major like a trip away or anything. So we just kept it really, really cruisy just at home because we had no other choice and just had a beautiful dinner with my husband, my two sons, and we did sneak in my parents who essentially broke the law let's be honest but they did they did travel 40 minutes through the zones that you're not allowed to travel through at that particular you know beyond the five kilometer zone and it was great we just had a lovely family dinner nothing flash Oh, I'm beautiful. always worried, Lise, when you tell that story that your parents will get sent some kind of like <laughs> retrospective fine because it's on the record that they were illegal. Um, so I, I did want a party for my 40th because that felt like a very big milestone for me. And it was strange to want a party because that's not my MO when it comes to birthdays. The last part, the last proper party I had was my 21st. Um, so I managed to sneak in a picnic set up in my backyard because it was when COVID restrictions had been lifted and I could have 20 people in my, mm. in my home. Maybe it got up to 40 that week, a few days out. But anyway, I had about 20 people there, just good friends, a group of women whom I'd collected over the years and were very pleased to have, you know, still in my life to celebrate this new decade. Yeah, awesome. Amazing. I, like, I obviously listen to your podcast all the time and I have your book and I've just started reading it only because it was given to me only a few weeks ago because I'm turning 40 very soon. And she's like, you've got to read this. I know you love the podcast. Um, and so in making my th way through the first part of it, um, I read that um, Lise, you feel as though maybe you're kind of like frozen in time in that 27, 28 kind of age in your mind, those golden years, which for me, I'm exactly the same, except like my body didn't get the memo, which is a shame. Um, but yet, you know, I feel younger than I am as I'm approaching 40. Yeah, I think it's it's a strange one. I absolutely still feel 28 parts of me still feel that way in terms of my likes and dislikes the things I'm into I still love the music that I love I still feel as vibrant and energetic and excitable as I was in my late 20s but then I think when you really take stock of who you become in your 40s you realize that there's been a massive evolution and that's mm. more the quiet stuff the unseen stuff like your boundaries or what you what you really stand for or the decisions you make and why you make them so I think outwardly of course my body has aged too my face has aged too no doubt but 
I think it's more that really silent, quiet evolution that is really mm-hmm. remarkable when you sit down and say, who am I now? And it is a different person, even though I've just said I still feel like 28-year-old Lise. It's a really bizarre thing to reconcile. Mm. Yeah, it is. And I think it's that thing of going, of all of the experiences that you've had over the years, something shifts when you're in your late 30s, early 40s, where you're like, okay, so now I kind of get to build the next part of my life with that experience, but also with a sense of... um, I don't know, like a a white not a wiseness. Oh, it's not even a really great word. To yeah, use. It's, it's you know what I mean. I, I think you're you're and we, Sarah and I speak about this a lot. There's a self assuredness that comes with this age, and it is one thing about getting older that women are not told enough we're told all the all the scary stuff right oh it's you know that's it it's the downhill you're not young anymore it's the end of youth what we should be focusing on is this quiet self-assuredness that comes and how exhilarating that is and it does give you that next nudge into the second part of your life it's really Mm. bloody exciting Mm. I think you can be quiet about it or you can choose to speak up about the things that you want to change because for me that's what happened when I was 39 looking at 40 so there was actually no quietness there were things that I wasn't happy with in my life at that point mainly the work situation and the pressure that that was putting on me personally and um, professionally and and Lisa's in the same boat there but I think it's uh, and I I hark back to the one of the opening quotes in our book which is from Angela Mollard who's a columnist and a journalist and she said your 40s is about deciding not sliding because so Mm. much of our 20s and 30s you're sliding into things like right you're okay I've I've met someone we're going to get married I'm going to have a baby boom 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 and this is I've gone to uni this is my career and when you reach that potentially hopefully perhaps midway point in your life that's when your ears prick up I think and go oh hang on let's just reset here am I cool with what's with what's happening that's where the quiet self-assuredness comes in or what can I change in this next decade in this next phase of life and being unapologetic about it the brand those two girls it's well known around Australia you've been radio hosts and shared the stage and interviewed incredible women Um, plus you've got this incredible podcast which like 1.6 million downloads is that right I I think we might be I think it might be a bit more than that now it's yeah it's crazy it is it's amazing. Um, plus, you've got this great book. Take us back to how those two girls began. Would you mind sharing that story? Oh, we love telling this story because it's uh, it's something that happened to us that we would never have expected in a million years. We were in our mid-30s when we met, and at the time we had two babies each, and we were in the trenches of early family life. So both on maternity leave, careers on pause, sort of, you know, in that no man's land, I suppose, of, okay, I'm home, this is what I'm doing, 
how fortunate am I to have this time with my children, but also that itch was still there of I, I, I still have this creativity and I don't really know what I want to do. And I'd been introduced to Sarah's writing or a friend of mine said, you, you should follow this girl called Sarah Wills. And I think it happened virtually at the same time that Sarah's friends had said to her, you should follow this girl called Lise Carlaw. We were writing mostly just online, nothing overly fancy, just writing our thoughts and musings and making, making jokes of things we'd seen on telly, nothing groundbreaking, Donna. And yeah. we started following one another and we did. I absolutely loved Sarah's sense of humour, the way she, you know, used language to paint pictures and Anyway, turns out that we lived a kilometre away from one another, had never, ever met each other, even though our circle of mutual friends was ridiculously closely tied. Wow. So we'd been at weddings together but never met. We'd been in with the same fertility doctor and never met. Uh, and, and the stories and anecdotes continue. We won't bore you with that. But the similarities between us were uncanny. We're both born in the same year. We were both married in the same year. It's, it was just insane. So we decided to meet up in the flesh. And even though a lot of people listening right now might think, you know, if you're in your mid-30s, you might think, I'm good with friends. I don't, I'm not really open for business. I've got my group. Yeah. My, my advice would be to never, ever shut that door because the minute I walked through Sarah's front door, she'd invited me over for cheese and wine once the babies were in bed and it was just like fireworks it was wow. we we spoke until 2 a.m in the morning um from the word go we were just both 100 ourselves there was no veneer I think I was wearing revolting Ugg boots like <laughs> you know I was a hot mess from day dot um and then very quickly when we sort of compared notes on what we'd done professionally and what we were dreaming of yeah we we sort of decided you know what we can actually do something here our youngest babies were four months old each because yeah. they're only born two days apart another similarity wow. and Lise was on <laughs> oh yeah Lise was on my back deck and she said I've had a daydream that we're both on stage <laughs> holding microphones together and you know most rational people would say please stop talking about your dreams and <laughs> I said yeah that sounds good I'm in and Lee's kind of was like well I've seen that there's a venue holding a bachelor finale party and this was when the bachelor wasn't lame and everyone <laughs> was invested in the country including us and she cold called the venue and said um we're mad fans we write a bit about it online would you be interested in giving us a chance to MC your finale event which was in mm. conjunction with channel 10 and look as serendipity would have it they were just coming out of a meeting they were like who are you we told them we said we'd do it for free we got the chance and from there I think there was 200 women in that room and word just kind of spread and we thought what are we going to call ourselves so that's where the, those two girls comes in because mm. Lisa's name is French and most people say Lise or Lisa or Lice or Liz and can't pronounce it. Lise had said, 
nobody will pronounce my name. They're always going to describe us as, you know, you know that event where those two girls were emceeing? You know, I think their names are like Thara and Lisa <laughs> or something. So we just went, right, those two girls, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. It's tongue in cheek. And yeah, that's where the, that's where the company name came from. But now most people who follow us can pronounce Lisa's name because mm. we always say in one breath, Lee's rhymes with cheese and they remember <laughs> it. Um, so those two girls is almost like the secondary kind of tagline now, which is, which is nice. <laughs> and so like, what was that conversation like when you were like, well, how do we commercialize this? Mm. Cause it's just, like, it just blows my mind that it was a friendship and then it there was this idea this vision that you had and now yeah. like well it's I a- think we've been we've been quite business savvy because we could realize like both of us had had very similar skill sets um in our in our youth um you know I'd done theater at university and Lise was on set in her past career as a model she'd done commercials she was absorbing all the on-set knowledge so we had we had performance skills. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what it was. We were comfortable yep. in front of a crowd. We were comfortable talking. and But we knew that if we did it our way, that it would be very different to what currently existed in the market in Brisbane at that time, which was mainly those MC roles went to the very slick, very professional newsreaders, former sports people. And mm. it was a very standard delivery. Yet Lise and I could recognise that we have this female friendship, this banter, this chemistry, and female friendship wasn't reflected in the same way that men's was. So there's plenty of male duos. I mean, you know, the Kings, Hamish and Andy, of course, uh, and male duos on radio and on screens all the time, but the same graces. It was few and far between for females. At that time, maybe it was Lise, like Chrissy Swan and Jane Hall were on the radio. I actually think when... When you mentioned Hamish and Andy, upon reflection, when we came through, they were still front and centre. I mean, they they remain front and centre, but they were, their TV shows were on prime time. They were still on air, on radio, and it was a very easy reference point for people who saw us in action as MCs and because our humour was always sort of the vehicle for our delivery, the banter, the humour, people, it was really easy for audience members to go, oh, my God, you guys are like, you're like the female Hamish and Andy. Yeah. Which, Which was the greatest compliment and we certainly weren't trying to rip that off or replicate it because no one will ever come close. But I think it did serve a purpose in aligning us with, okay, this is what they do, we get it. And I think that that was an important time. It was a moment in time where I think people very quickly cottoned on that we were two friends who, uh, who bounced off one another very quickly we had sort of whip smart reactions to one another's thoughts and, and we feelings had, we had boundaries too where we would be open we would we would sledge each other but we wouldn't sledge other people so mm. we were very clear in if there was any mocking or mm. teasing it was only between the two of us in the way that friends do we weren't mm. going to have bitchy comedy or no. we weren't going to be talking about motherhood because honestly 
boring, boring. Um, we were we were in those trenches. We wanted an escape from hearing about whether someone had used their uterus or not. So we were very clear in what we wanted to represent to women just like us. Yep. And that's always been our barometer is we are an audience as far as if we like it, if we're interested in it, there's got to be other women out there like us who will feel the same way. And yep. it kind of worked. Yeah, absolutely. It worked. And so then you got a radio deal from like so yeah the evolution of that so we were as Sarah explained we were emceeing a lot of events that that took off pretty quickly which was great you know that's you, you know you get paid well it's it, it during certain seasons it's quite regular but then and we, we got, couldn't believe I'll interrupt please remember when we got paid for the first time it was yeah, how did that feel and it was to do a fashion designer's um, Christmas party store kind of soiree Christmas party. And Lise and I were beside ourselves. We could not believe that people were paying us to talk. And that was a real moment. We were like, we've done it. We've commercialized our friendship. We've got 300 bucks from now. <laughs> 300 bucks, which is, you know, great. But then that very quickly became you know, 1,000, 2,000. And the, the, the dollar amount isn't that important in this part of the story because what ended up happening is we got bored of them seeing other people's stuff. Um, and we thought, why don't we produce our own events? And again, zero experience, just thought we can do this. How hard can it be? And we we sort of fell on this idea that, Brisbane doesn't often get the big name celebrities come up to our, to our city. It's always, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, get all the stars and all those sort of in-conversation forum events. And we thought, well, what if we put that on in Brisbane? And we, we were determined to do it right from the beginning. So we paid the people that came out, the likes of Zoe Foster-Blake, Mia Friedman. Um, at the time, there was a very popular blogger called The Young Mummy, Sophie Keisha. Um, a few of you might be familiar. So we had all these people that we knew would sell tickets and we paid them. We paid them very, very well and we produced these. Because we was, But again, because we were so being asked to work for free, Mm. by that point that we thought we will not do the same thing to yes. other people who work for us. And that's something that we can say now, nobody's ever worked for us for free. We produced these sellout events, Donna, you know, we were selling five, 400, 500 tickets in a matter of hours. And that's how we got scouted, I suppose, by the radio executives. We had no idea, but we we got an email one day or a phone call. I can't quite remember. No, it from was the a head Facebook message. It oh was a Facebook gosh. Message. Uh, from the head of the hit network who said, let's talk, you know, do wow. you want your own, how do you feel about your own radio show? In that decision-making process, like is there someone who generally is the one that's like, yeah, let's do it, and somebody else who's a little bit more discerning and more strategic and kind of brings balance into that mix? I think going back to your initial reaction of the trend being we're up for the challenge. I think that is astute of you and I think it is correct. I think 
very little has felled our energy levels and our hunger to do things in this space and in this industry. And more often than not, when we feel in our guts that it's something we want to pursue, it works out for us. So we are, we've always been strategic, but I think one of our superpowers is knowing when something is when something is right for us to sink our teeth into and we're going to do it our own way. So I would say saying yes is an important part of our growth and as the years have ticked over, saying no has also been an important part of the growth when we realise that our boundaries have been overextended or we're doing things for not enough so it's 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 a real it's a real balance I would say yeah I yeah I always think that saying of like what you say no to is as important as what you say yes to and as far as strategy and if, if someone is better at talking the other off the ledge I think we take turns in that so we have a little game that we play with each other called like devil's advocate where if someone is so gung-ho about something and the other has reservations then we'll play it off because we'll only ever do something if we're both all in together Mm, yeah yeah and so for listeners who are maybe find it difficult to either say no or they are sometimes you know, in that space where they go, oh my goodness, I want to say yes, but what if this happens? Or what if I fail? Or all those, have you got any words of advice or maybe strategies that you guys have used um, that would help business owners in that space? Yeah, I just think when you're weighing up whether to take a leap or not, and if it's something that is really worrying or it's a big step or it's a bit scary for you, I think for me, that answering that question what's the worst that can happen if the worst thing that can happen doesn't actually change the status quo of your day-to-day life then it's a risk that you can afford to take but Mm. if it's something where your life could go you know really topsy-turvy and you're not prepared for that outcome then I would say proceed with caution Mm. yeah I would say yeah I'm I think you've got to get really clear with yourself and back yourself from the beginning. I think there's, I can't even count. I don't think we've ever been in a situation where we've ever felt we can't do this or what if I fail? I don't, that's not, I don't know where that comes from. (laughs) Maybe it's the power of being a duo, but Mm. I don't think there's ever been anything where we've gone, we can't do that. We're not good enough. And that's not because we're up ourselves. It's just because we know that we're good at what we do and we know that we offer something different. So um, I would say if you're in business and you have self-doubt, I would try and work through that really quickly with somebody, with, with, with a trusted friend or with a business mentor or really face yourself down and, mm. and really ask yourself the question, what am, I, what, what am I actually scared of in this situation? Because mm. more often than not, you're very capable of doing whatever it is is in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that because I think so much of being in business can be about mindset. 
right? And mm. getting out of your own way sometimes, or as you said, facing it and working through it because at each stage that you do that, you grow that resilience and you grow that strength and that self-belief to take on the next big step, whatever that might be in the future. And also I would add to that as well, like you can't just take a leap unless it's financially viable to you. Mm -hmm. Like, Don't give up your day job while you're still building your side hustle. Be sensible and be smart about that because you don't want to be left in the lurch. So I do think, you know, I mean, I know when I was working part-time at the time when Lise and I formed, I really wanted to give those two girls a crack. So did Lise. And so I came to the decision and was agreed with my husband that once those two girls was earning as much as my part-time job was earning and there was more income coming in, (laughs) then it was time to take the leap. And that happened within a matter of what, four months or something, something like that. So yeah, yeah, you've got, as long as, as soon as there's money in and if you can still pay your mortgage and have a home and everything is, is settled, then I, I think that's the stuff you've got to weigh up. Does the idea of showing up consistently on social media leave you feeling like you're always falling short? Do you struggle to come up with creative, fresh, new content? I don't know about you, but I will be batching my social media content for the holiday season and I want to gift you my social media tile templates. Yep, I have a Christmas gift for you. 25 Christmas Canva templates that you can download for free and personalize for your social media content in December, saving you time and stress. So to get my gift to you, go to donahan.com forward slash silly season. Now back to the podcast. How did you guys cope with that in re- when you were doing early mornings for radio and, you know, traveling around the country in shows and all of that kind of stuff? How do you make that work with your families? Have you got any tips around that for people who are listening? I think it helped tremendously that we both had children who were essentially the same ages. There's 18 months between our eldest and, as we said earlier, the little ones are two days apart. So I think if we'd started in business together where perhaps I had teenagers and Sarah was still in the toddler trenches, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be incredibly challenging when one's ready to fly and the other just simply cannot. Um, So I think it was really, really critical that we were both exactly where the other was and we understood in our bones what was required of us as as parents. I think in terms of tips, there is no way around this. There is no way and there are choices to be made along the way. And I don't doubt for a minute that you've had people in your network, Donna, who have had to close down businesses because it is an enormous undertaking. I think what we did well when we could was we outsourced the stuff that would have absolutely buried us. So, Uh, bookkeeping was not our forte. Neither of us had those skills and it was an enormous source of stress for us. So as soon as we could afford that, we 
outsourced the work to a bookkeeper. So that was that done. Um, the technical side of our work, you know, websites and stuff like that, when we could, we got someone to help us with that, even if it was just contract work, like not necessarily on a retainer, but when we could, we did. So that was very, very helpful, but I know that not everyone is in that position. And then, you know, there are some tough decisions. I mean, look, at the end of the day, we walked away from a breakfast radio job because it was killing us and it was killing our family life. Mm. And, you know, some may look at us now and go, well, they're not on radio anymore. So you could argue that the choice we made to leave to save our sanity and to to protect our family's well-being has cost us a radio job. You could say that. We don't, we choose not to look at it that way because we have diversified our business since. We've moved into podcasting, as you talked about, with 40, and we absolutely slogged it out to build that and because we didn't have a choice. We didn't have the radio income anymore. So I think there is no fairy tale I think the fairy tales are for a very very select few where their their trajectory and theirs is flawless I think for the rest of us mere mortals there are choices that will come with costs and you've got you've got to ride the wave and you've got to reinvent yep and for context that time of life too we were doing a national early breakfast radio show which aired from 5 to 6 a.m and because we are based in Brisbane, the breakfast show we were doing was on the Gold Coast. So we were required to be away uh, one to two nights every week on the Gold Coast, bearing in mind also Lisa's husband is a shift worker. So he was on, you know, nights and day shifts. My husband yeah. is a fly-in, fly-out farmer. So it was, it got to a point where it was just untenable. What I will mm -hmm. say with, with people, um, and, and I think what helped to some degree, particularly with young children, was if you can afford it, making childcare transactional. So I remember when I was working so hard and I was roping in favours from people and the added guilt that that would bring me in order to work was, um, I, I mean, it's a, it's a very common experience when you're, I was bringing my mother, my sister, like anybody to look after after the kids and um, and that's impacting on their lives. Whereas I remember getting to a point when Lise and I were, were getting busier and this was before the radio show too, of being able to hire local babysitters and actually paying someone and not feeling that personal guilt around impacting someone's life for mm. free. And trust me, you know, there, there'll be grandparents who are, who are happy to do that. And I remember Lise when, her maxi, her youngest was one and you didn't want to put him into daycare, Lisa. Remember it was your mother who said to you, mm. for goodness sake, you two are working, put him into daycare. And it was like, um, and, and you did that, what was it, like one or two days a week just to give yeah, you that I think it was two. space. So, mm. yeah, so it wasn't just calling in favours and scrambling. It's that awful, that's where the burnout comes from, I think, when you're just scrambling and you're feeling like you're doing 157 things and maybe uh, uh, 10 of them well you know yeah yeah 100% agree and I remember that transition period too for me when I first put my 
eldest in daycare and just had that one day to do the stuff. And it was like, holy, like the amount, like you said, the, the, I don't know, just the pressure that lifts off you from doing that thing. And when when they're there, they're loving it. They're getting attention. They're getting socialization. There's so many benefits for them in being in that space and that independence away from you that I think it's a win-win situation. Because you're made to feel guilty. I mean, who did we hear the other day, Lee, saying that the idea of maternal um, love is a is a social construct that was it was a phrase that started being bandied about in like the 1950s or something in order to make women feel guilty or I don't know I don't know what I wish I could reference it and, and just not give lame examples but um, again it's perfectly obvious but none, none of that pressure is put on blokes yeah which is totally unfair it's a whole nother conversation (laughs) it is it is another podcast yeah (laughs) and so um we've talked about radio and all of that and then you switched into the podcast so tell us how you built that up like what was that process for you guys when we were struggling with the two radio shows we were doing you know, as perfectly sane women, we decided, well, let's do something else on top of that. But I think there was this little passion that was building up inside of us. We were about to turn 40. In our personal lives, there was all this stuff that we wanted to explore and talk to each other about. And we thought, let's start this podcast on the side of the radio, on the side of the radio stuff. So keep in mind, we still had an income at that point, which yep. was uh, makes it a lot easier to start a new project when, uh, you know, your, your mortgage is being paid, as Sarah said earlier. So we started it independently. So it wasn't with a network, it wasn't with our network, it was just us. And then within what was it, Sarah, four months, the network said, oh, no, yeah. now we want it. Now we're, now we're interested because, you know, well, and, and that's because lovely. sooner than that, sooner than that, seven weeks after it started, we got the publishing deal. Mm. So it was mm. seven weeks after. So 40 started in October 2020. Lise mm. was already 40. I turned 40 the following month. And we knew there was traction there because nobody else was speaking, well, not that we could see, was speaking specifically to women about that decade and the roller coaster that happened that seems to happen all the time in it. Mm. And uh, it was seven weeks after that that we had two publishers who were suddenly, again, we hadn't sorted out saying, we think this could be a book. How would you feel about it? And within 10 weeks, I think we had a publishing deal. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. And that and the book's just taken off. The, the, I, you know, we think the book's done well. The publisher's been really happy. It's gone into reprint. But to be honest, it was never, the book was always just a really natural and organic extension of everything we talk about in the podcast and with the amazing people who come on as guests. So it never felt like, oh, the book is going to be a silver bullet to our success. It was just, it felt right. It was an enormous amount of work at a time that we were already pretty stretched, to be honest. We were still doing early radio. We had the podcast as well, and we had 80,000 words to write. So 
I love what we've made. I'm really proud of the book and I love that you were given it for your 40th or ahead of your 40th. That's exactly why we made it. We didn't make it to become rich. You don't you don't get rich off writing books unless no. you are <laughs> Sally Hepworth or Leanne Moriarty or any of those incredible writers. Um, we did it like to capture a moment in time and kind of like the ultimate time capsule for us as 40-year-old women writing about all of our friends who are going through what they're going through. Um, so I'm really proud of it. Do I look back on those months of writing fondly? Not particularly, <laughs> if I'm completely <laughs> honest. Talk about burnout. But, you know, when I see it sitting on my coffee table and when I see, when I hear people like yourself talking about it and having that yes moment, <laughs> oh, my God, these are my people, or oh, oh, she's saying what I'm thinking, that makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. and our publisher wanted us to write another book and we were both like, no. Too soon. <laughs> Not mate. right Too now. Soon. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Not right now. Maybe in the future. <laughs> so what would you say has been the greatest thing so far for you in this journey of 40? Oh, I would say we're le- we are still learning, Donna. We are not, this is not the end of the story as in we've got it all worked out and we're on easy street. Um, I think my biggest lesson, it changes all the time, but at the moment, the lesson that's sort of sitting with me at this, in this season of our careers is nothing is permanent. And that works, that works. That's, that can be a good thing. Nothing Mm -hmm. is permanent. So if you're, if you are wading through shit, Nothing is permanent. But also, if you are living the life and everything's going really well, nothing is permanent. You've got to have backup plans. You've got to either enjoy the moment you're in and really let it sink in, but be prepared for change to come in whatever way that is, because we are still there. Even after all the perceived success, you know, it's still not it's still not done. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not, we're not where we want to be yet at the moment. We, which is exciting. It's also bloody terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's still been the career surprises, I suppose. That's come through Lee's and the two of us being together and what, what, what joy that has has brought like I, I'd never the same way I say nobody could have told me at 34 that I would I would meet a lady off the internet and we would end up with radio shows and interviewing the people that we'd interviewed in the same way no one could tell me that by the time I was 42 I would have had a book a podcast that's all about being in your 40s like I continue to be surprised by what the two of us do when we're together and there's a real I know our book is called 40 favors the brave but there is a there is a bravery in that but there's also a comfort in that because if I didn't have Lee's I'd have given up long ago (laughs) and vice versa oh god I would have flushed it down the toilet years ago (laughs) screw this I can't do this on my own it's too hard (laughs) yeah yeah 
<laughs> no, there is. And I think that's what I was trying to articulate in that nothing is permanent except our friendship. I think mm. if you combine our two answers, that's what that's what you get, right? In terms of business, you're going to have your ups and downs. There is no escaping that. I, we are yet to meet women, people right. in business who who haven't been through the, the peaks and troughs and yeah. that will, that will never change and nor will our friendship. So as, as long as we have each other's back, which we do, as long as we still have that drive, which we do, I don't even know where the drive comes from. It's this, it's this need to create things that we love to consume. It's so selfish. <laughs> and it's this amazing it is such a gift that we have and I don't know why it's fallen in our lap but that we connect with other people through our friendship and through just having the conversations that two friends have um and that just drives the need to create more good things and put them out into the world It's so good. And, you know, like it really, it really does just elevate that importance of friendship amongst women and, you know, in, in the way that we lift each other up and support one another and just keep that conversation going where I was having a chat with a lady who um, is in her, I want to say politely late sixties. And she Mm -hmm. was like, back in my day, like women would pull each other down. Um, And I'm Mm. so grateful that I have never really experienced that in my adult life. Like I just have always chosen to surround myself with the type of people who are all about empowering and uplifting one another. I don't have time for anything other than that. Um, But when I listen to your podcast, I am in fits of laughter, like snorting, and I have my ear pods in. So sometimes the kids look at me like mum's lost her marbles. Um, And then other times I'm like in tears listening to stories of women who've been through like adversity and come out the other side so much stronger um, for it. And so, you know, thank you for what you've created. Um, I think there's so much value in that that will only serve women for generations to come, even if perhaps in, you know, 20 years time, they're not listening to the podcast, but their mothers have learned or their Mm. friends and aunties and you know the circle of women around them have taken from what you guys are putting out there that then is coming through to the next generation so I think it's amazing what you guys do oh thank you so much that's that's lovely like that's the best thing that people can possibly say to us is that they get so much value out of hearing other people's stories because they're not our they're not our stories to tell it's other women agreeing to you know, sometimes open up a vein and talk about the yeah. really hard spots, the the wonderful spots that they've that they've been in. Um, we're just it, kind it, of the. It feels like a really powerful, messengers. powerful time in life, and you know, you're nearly there. You're approaching forty really soon, and I just wish we'd known when we were in our thirties that this is this is an incredible time of life that you step Mm. into in your 40s and if we can be a vehicle for that message and showcase different women who have been through all kinds of things then 
I wish I'd heard our podcast when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> I would because I would have had a completely think, different perspective yeah. on what was to come. Yep. Yep. I think um, that advice we've received to all those words of wisdom we received to Lees, I think it was Michelle Laurie who said to us, you're meant to change. You are mm. not meant to be the same as you were. You know, at the beginning of the episode, mm. you were joking, Donna, about, you know, still feeling like you're 28, but your body hasn't got the memo. Of course, it hasn't got the memo. It's not meant to be your 28-year-old mm. body. We are meant mm. to be different mentally and physically as we grow older. That's the growth. That's the journey. You're allowed to recalibrate your dreams. I think InStyle editor Justine Cullen told us that one. You have permission and you don't have to ask for it. So I think mm. that's been a, a massive um, nugget that stayed with me too. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, well, thank you. Like I am just so grateful for your time in saying yes to being a guest on the podcast. You've literally given me the greatest start to my 40th lap around the sun. I'm so <laughs> grateful. Um, and, you know, I am encouraging everyone that I know that's in my age group that are just approaching 40 to go and grab your book and have a listen to the podcast because it's guaranteed to give you a laugh and give you beautiful insights into the world of other women navigating through their 40s, which just makes you feel that, you know, you're part of that space and mm. that your inner circle as you do that your inner circle episodes as well. So um, thanks for changing the landscape for women in their, in their 40s. I think you're both awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Donna. Thank you for listening to this episode of the She's in Business podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it on Instagram and Facebook, and I'd be so grateful if you could leave me a review on iTunes. Be sure to include your business name and Insta handle so I can give you a shout out too. If you want to know more about what I do, the programs that I offer, then head over to www.donnahan.com and follow me on Instagram at Donna underscore Han underscore S-I-B. I hope this podcast inspires you to be courageous and take action in carving out your very own business by design, where you can avoid burnout and shine like the universe is yours.